0: Romans chapter 12 is where you should keep your Bibles turned. But as we get into the second week of application commands from the New Testament that have a command with or for one another. Last week we considered the command to love one another. And that being the largest uh, number of times that a command and then one another appear together. In fact, today you'll see a couple today that we didn't cover last week uh, depending on how your translation translates certain phrases uh, but we can see that as last week love one another is an umbrella command that will ha- all of these other ones help describe what loving one another looks like because it's not helpful for me to tell you hey go love one another do it better try harder You didn't do it with that that one person over there. Loving one another is very vital. It's actually the defining characteristic of Christians, uh, as Jesus told us, that that's how people will know that you love me and you are my disciples, is that you love one another like I have loved you. And so as we consider the rest of these one another commands uh, throughout the New Testament, it is helpful for us to keep in mind that these describe what it looks like to love one another. So when we say, as is part of our mission statement here, to love God, and to love uh, others, and to make disciples, that when we say we need to love one another, all of these things are uh, wrapped together. It's not just being kind, although that is part of it, and we'll actually talk about that in one of these uh, weeks, the, the command to be kind to one another. However, these things teach us what it looks like to be known by our love for one another. So this week, uh, we are going to consider how to live in harmony with one another. Now, you'll notice as I go through this, some of your translations won't even have the word harmony in this context. And a lot of the verses I'm going to use actually don't have the word harmony at all. I am lumping a bunch of one another commands thematically in this context. Because if I did a one another sermon on every one another One, you guys might be a fan of this, they might be like five, ten minutes long, but we would be doing it for like a year. So we're going to have to lump some of them together conceptually so that we understand what it means. But before we get into it, uh, I really like the translation, uh, which my translation doesn't have, uh, to live in harmony with one another. Uh, I think that's such a great word picture. Now, by show of hands, do we know what harmony is? yes if you if you raise your hand, yes, okay, all right, I realized that that was not a hand question, so I rephrase so harmony is uh how you know a lot of people have commented about how singing goes here, and it will have people not singing the melody and yet it sounds good. it actually fills out the actual music, and if you do more things with music, most of us can mumble along at least with the melody of a song our favorite songs we can sing it but if you get a group of people together and you have everyone singing and the crazy thing is most people don't have the same range so you know yeah men and women typically are at least an octave different but even within those categories not everyone can sing as high or as low which means that if you all sing the same part, the same tune, that you'll have dropped in and outs all over the place. And yet if you honor the fact that people have different voices, different ranges, different abilities, you can find parts that people can sing and have it sound really good. Uh, And then you can do, like, one of our songs today, there's, like, the melody line sings a thing, and then the lower... Portion comes in. I don't want to say it's the men because you can sing it if you're a lady too. But uh, there's different parts. You get things moving, and this is how harmony works. Now, I want us because of our misunderstanding. This could also be understood as to live in unity. However, unity sometimes conceptually for us gets a little bit confusing because instead of harmony we think it to be the thing as singing in unison, which is where we all do the exact same thing all together. No one should be different. We are exactly the same. And we can get the weird impression that suddenly God wants all of us to be living in unity, meaning there should be no deviation. We should all be exactly the same cookie-cutter versions of whatever the ideal person of this church or this culture or this workplace might be, that that's what unity looks like, is complete conformity. We all look the same. We all do the same. We all do it the same. And that is not at all what the Bible, when you read it, and it says to live in unity, that's not what that word unity means. It doesn't mean unison. So, in fact, I think it would be better for us to just adopt this, although... Translation, harmony doesn't always work for unity. But conceptually, think of it as living in harmony. And another way of thinking about it is that harmony actually brings out contrast. So if you're not into music, and maybe you like visual art more, visual art has to have contrast, otherwise you cannot make a distinction as to what anything is. And the most basic form of contrast is black and white. If you don't have black and white and you just have black or white, no matter what they tell you in the museum of the art, it's not art. <laughs> you have a black square or a white square. There's like I you know, if you like the color, great. But it is not depicting a picture at all. And as we as believers, as we are supposed to be living out this command to love one another like Jesus loved us. We are displaying for people an image of who God is, what he has done for us, and who we can become. But if we don't allow there to be contrast, we will never be able to accurately depict that picture. So, as we read in Romans 12, live in harmony, or in other passages where this command might be understood as unity, how do a diverse group of people from potentially all over the world various economic backgrounds from various relationship backgrounds from cultures that that vary wildly how do we as one another as individuals as we are members of one another live in harmony and so today i want to try to use the one another's to help us conceive of what it looks like and how do we participate in living in harmony with one another because we will be different from one another. We won't always agree. And that is totally fine. If, instead of providing dissonance, which if you're into music, that's great, uh, instead of creating disharmony, we learn to live in a way that allows our differences to be harmony and not be conflict. And that's the crux of the issue for believers. We can either say, everyone's got to be the same, or it's okay that everyone's different, but I'm going to disagree and cause problems with everyone, is not a fulfillment of this command. Living in harmony takes work, effort, and lots of self-control. So let's get started in order to live in harmony i'm going to provide us three main points with a couple sub points is that first the first step in order for a group of people from wildly different backgrounds with completely different opposing views on a lot of different things the first thing that a group like that has to do is consider those around you in romans uh, chapter 15 uh which is right after the scripture we had uh as Paul is arguing for how believers work together uh, in love, he reiterates this as a, a prayer. He says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. We have to consider those around us. It is a prayer that Paul has uh, for this church as he seeks to get some support to go to even further part into the world to preach the gospel but in order for us to live in such harmony with one another we have to be devoted to one another in love romans 12 verse 10 and again depending on how your translation translates that i can just say love one another show family affection to one another with brotherly love outdo one another in showing honor. Love, which luckily we don't have to preach a whole other message on because we just did that last week. Love is an important part of the process. In order to live in harmony with one another, love has to be a driving factor for us as individuals and as a group so that when someone isn't living in love, we can say, excuse me that is not the love that jesus shows to us you are now breaking the harmony of the whole song nothing drive, drove me uh, more nuts than when we we're singing in a choir and there's clearly one individual singing the wrong note and the director does nothing to stop it like that person isn't doing their job which is causing the rest of us to have problems and so it is with us, which is why the command to love one another as Jesus loved us, because that is the defining characteristic of who we are, because that's the defining characteristic of who God is and, who he, and what he provided us in the gospel. That is the key for us to live in harmony with one another, is that we must have love for one another. And as we read in this whole passage, it starts in verse 9, love must be without hypocrisy detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Imagine a group of people, doesn't matter what their opinions are, their political beliefs are, what they do or don't do with money. If a group decided to love without hypocrisy and detest what is evil and cling to what is good, that alone provides a huge base for living in harmony. And then to be devoted In showing love to one another, outdoing one another and showing honor. We will revisit that uh, in another week. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be in agreement with one another, or live in harmony with one another. Those descriptors all are achievable by people who do not share the same opinions. If they are devoted to each other in love, being centered around the gospel, we are capable of living lives like this. The second thing beyond love that we have to have in order to properly consider those around us to live in harmony is humility. Luckily for all of us, our Sunday school book is going to talk to us about humility for the next week, so you're going to get a double dose of that. Verse 16 says that you got to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud; instead, associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own estimation. We have to be willing to live, not just claim humility. We have to be willing to live, not just claim humility. Because here's the deal. I'm going to disagree with almost everybody in this room at least once. (laughs) Okay? Even myself. I'm going to disagree with all of you about something. And I might think that I'm smarter than you. I might be thinking that I'm better trained than you or that you're coming up with a bunch of malarkey. But we must live in humility to promote the harmony of our body of believers, to not be conceited. And I just love this. It says, don't be proud, but associate with people of low position or associate with the humble. That is an active choice. Now, we all by nature, because pride kind of is like the stem of all of our sin issues, have a problem with being proud. So the the first part of that verse that says do not be proud is good in the sense that God told us that we shouldn't be proud. But that's not all that much helpful, right? It's like telling you, go love people better. Stop being proud. Well, yeah, we would all love to do that, Right? The second part of this says, like, so associate with those who are humble. There's something you can actively do in order to fight against the pride that lives deep down inside of us. We cannot allow that to be the driving factor of how we live our lives, not just at church, but with people. We cannot allow pride to take the reins because it will not promote harmony. It will promote discord. But we can actively choose to associate, to fellowship with, to align ourselves with people who are humble and people who do not have all that we think I do have, which is why I think I might be better than them. Stop being conceited, is what this verse says. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone Then, uh, as Matt mentioned, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about this humility where it's talking about Jesus who humbled himself and became a man who he had every right to stay in the heavenly places and had no driving need for himself to come here, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a man so that we could do this. And Paul uses that as an example as well as, I believe, Timothy. He uses as a person. In Philippians two, as well, as an example of what it looks like to be a person that lives in humility for others, and so in Philippians two, verse four, it says, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Again, we're we're already pretty good at thinking about in this situation or today or this meal, what do I want? What can I get? But humility and love actually says, what do those around me need? Not from me necessarily, but what do people need? And we can point them to Jesus. We can provide the love and acceptance that they might need. We can provide the ability for them to see Jesus in our actions But we are not to look only for our own interests, but to the interests of others. Consider one another as more important than yourself. So the first step for a body of people, and specifically for believers, is that we have to consider those around us. Like, actually think about them. And then we have to make the choice to do Our lives with them, our our words, our actions, in love and humility. Now if that doesn't sound enough like Jesus, I don't know what will, except for it keeps going. To live in harmony doesn't just mean we consider one another and say, okay, every once in a while I'll give you what you want. This isn't toddlers taking turns getting what each other want. Uh, I got what I wanted last time, so now it's your turn to get what you want. That is not what harmony is at all. So the second thing that the Bible tells us time and time again, what it looks like to live in harmony, is that the group of people seek unity and not division. I already said that unity doesn't mean conformity. It doesn't mean that you believe what I say or you're out. Which is what churches have done also plenty of other organizations have done, is that if you don't agree with me, you're out. Which is the antithesis of what it looks like to consider those around you. So if a body of people want to live in harmony the way God tells us that we should live in harmony, we have to seek unity. We have to bring our differences and allow them to harmonize with each other. And then we are not to seek Division, Which, again, we would all be like, yeah, nobody likes that. And yet so much of our actions are spent doing the exact opposite. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I will be turning there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We know the Corinthian church had their issues. And we talked about that at length in our two-part sermon series that took forever. Uh, I'm sure most of you felt as well. Uh, but Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he is talking about the diversity of spiritual gifts that have been given to the body, uh, and that this is actually like one of those things that we saw. The church is pictured as the body of Christ. Uh, And so starting in verse 12, it says, For as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. So... Whether you used to believe in Yahweh or you were a complete and utter pagan. Okay? Jews and Greeks isn't just like a simple like, oh, you were rich or poor, which they talk about in the Bible too. Jews and Greeks are like two very uh I lost it. It's on or off. Whatever. they're they're the opposite. They're two categories. You're either Jew or you're Gentile, okay? That's the only options you have and and we're saying people from both backgrounds are baptized into this one new body of jesus whether they're slaves or free we were made to drink of the same spirit so one body so so the body is not one part but many if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i don't belong to the body in spite of this it still belongs to the body and the ear should say because i'm not an eye i don't belong to the body in spite of this it still belongs to the body If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again to the head, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body, what we think to be less honorable, we clothe those with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Now, all of that, like, we're all like amped up, right? Like that's a, that's a, That is a mind-blowing theological paragraph. About what it looks like for a church to live in unity, written to a church that from the beginning has been saying, "I'm a Paul, I'm a Paul. So, like they had their own little business meetings all over the place. Probably started new churches because they liked this person better than the other, and they said, "Like, well, if you don't agree that this guy's the best, then you're out." When Paul is now telling you, "Look at this." Christ is not divided. Your activity says that he is. So then in verse 25, this is why God did it this way. So that there would be no division in the body. But that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it now you are the body of christ and individual members of it and then he talks about the gifts again at the end we have to seek the unity of christ's body because it simply is the fact that god has made the body of christ to be one not to be many parts although we killed jesus by our sin God's intention for those who believe in Jesus is not to live like dismembered bodies lying on the ground and God in his wisdom has guided the paths of believers and unbelievers into geographical regions so that we can seek unity and not division we are able to discern things about each other that are different. And oftentimes we look at those as like really important to identify and sometimes they're undesirable. We don't like that person speaks this way. We don't like that a person dresses this way or that a person, you know, shares what they're thinking this way. We need to seek unity and not division because Jesus is not divided. So we cannot be divided either. We can learn to work together as hands and arms and elbows and shoulders and knees and toes all learn to work together. We as believers can learn to seek unity instead of division. Instead of going around saying like, all right, well, you're a fan of this sports team, and you don't like that sports team, so we can't watch sports together. Okay? Some of that sort of makes sense. I'm a Philadelphia fan. I understand why people don't want to watch sports with me. I get it. Okay? But we cannot take that kind of attitude into churches. We cannot say, well, because you don't share my concern over this one issue or because you do not believe this theological thing that I'm obsessed with currently, or because the way you talk sounds off-putting to people like me and letting us divide ourselves into tiny little pockets of people who agree with each other out of fear, because the second someone says, Oh, I don't agree with you on that, suddenly now there's another group. And then there's another group, and then we're all isolated. We're dropped off finger over there, or dropped off toe over there. Unity of the church, not so that we all look the same, but deciding to live together with love and humility promoting the unity of the body because that is who God has called us to be is of utmost importance. And in order to do that, in order to seek unity and not division, I propose two other one another's. First, in order to do that, we must accept one another. Romans 15:7, which Romans 15:5 just said, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse seven says, "Accept one another, then. Just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God." This, on face value, probably doesn't sound all that mind blowing. Like we got to just accept one another. Our culture says that you know we got to accept me for who I am. Stop trying to change me who I am. This is who I am. If you don't like it, too bad. This is a biblical command for believers. This person says Jesus is their Savior. And they're part of the body. You accept them. No matter how crazy they might be. You accept them. Why? Because Christ accepted you. And if we learn to accept one another in the same fashion that Jesus accepts us with all of our hurts, with all of our problems from the past, with all the willful decisions to sin against him, he still accepts us. And we have no basis to not accept one another. And Jesus accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so if we accept one another we also bring praise to God. We have to accept one another. It's just just acceptance. I get it. You don't think the same as me. Totally fine. I'm not trying to make you think like me. In fact, I'd be really worried if everybody in the church started thinking like me. (laughs) But I'm going to accept you in order for us to live in harmony, together in love and humility, So that we can promote unity and not division. First, we have to accept one another. And second of all, in Mark 9, Jesus is talking about a lot of different things. Um, But this one is part of his metaphoric kind of a teaching about believers. Mark 9, verse 50, it says, Salt is good. So there you go. Salt is good. Jesus said so. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? And then it gets really interesting. He says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. If salt loses its saltiness, does it really work as salt anymore? And if believers forsake love, humility, and acceptance... How can they claim to be believers? What good are they? If believers cannot live at peace with one another, how are they picturing the unity of Christ's body? They're not. So Christ says, keep that which is central to being a believer in you so that you can live and be at peace with one another. Accept one another with your differences. It's okay. And then learn to navigate those differences with grace and humility and love. Because we are members individually and as collectively together, members of Jesus' body. So we need to be people who seek unity and not division. That is what is meant by live in harmony. But those all seem to me, as Carolyn would say, that's all up here. <laughs> it's not practical. Right? For me, I love those first two points. Because I can just conceive it. I can think of it. Like I know what it means. Like I, I, I live like this. But if we don't ever put feet to those actions, what good does it do? as Jesus would say if salt loses its saltiness what's it good for it? so turn with me if you will to 1st Thessalonians there we go 1st Thessalonians in chapter 5 so this is the practical outworking of a body of people who decide that they want to be living in harmony with one another. They take consideration, they think about, actually actively think about each other, and use that information to love one another in humility. They seek unity of Christ's body and not division. And then this works itself out in these practical ways of doing good towards each other. I know, sounds crazy, right? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. These are kind of the closing of the book. So, conclusionary things from Paul to this church. Now we ask you, brothers, to live, to give recognition to those who labor among you, and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Sounds just like what Jesus said. And we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are irresponsible. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient With everyone. Sounds a lot like love one another. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, which was also in Romans, to anyone. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This is what it looks like in all practicality. If we are actively trying to live in harmony, when someone does something mean, wrong, unthoughtful, arrogant, really obnoxious to us, we don't do that in return. Don't repay evil for evil to anyone. I mean, in Romans it says overcome evil with good. And that's talking about external people doing bad for you. Christians are not to be people who take wrong actions against them and say, Aha, let me do wrong actions back towards you. We cannot repay evil for evil, but instead we are to pursue what is good for one another and for all and we'll get into some more detailed practical one another's uh, as it relates to that but that is what it looks like it looks like when bad things happen to us we don't return the favor instead we turn the other cheek and then some other practical outworkings of living in harmony is that we would get this pray for one another instead of breaking up into little pockets of echo chambers everywhere around us so that we can feel like we've got it all together because no one's here to tell us that we're wrong, we actually pray for one another, not so that the people would change and be more like you, but so that they would be more like Jesus and so that you can live in harmony. In James chapter 5, this is specifically talking about someone uh, with possibly a physical problem and possibly a spiritual problem and i think honestly the thing is we don't know i think that's the actual situation is like you don't know if it's a physical or a spiritual problem you just don't know and the answer is pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working if we had a group of people who would pray for one another so that we would be healed so that we would be joined together as one in Christ. Things would be different. And that is an active, easy choice to make. Instead of complaining about one another, instead of gossiping about one another, instead of disenfranchising one another, if we simply learn to pray for one another. Christ is the head of this body. He is in control. And so if the toe is doing something and the toe shouldn't be doing, just pray for it. Let Christ handle it. And learn to love and be humble, accept and live at peace with the problem toe. Another way that this works itself out in all practicality is the offer of fellowship. First 1 John 1, which we recently covered, I think last year, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This one like literally summarizes what it looks like to live in harmony. It says we have fellowship with one another if we live in the light. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another as the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It is an offer of fellowship instead of an offer of, hey, if you agree with me, I'll hang out with you. If you agree with me, We'll be friends. Fellowship is derived from accepting one another because Jesus accepted us. We learn to love each other and to be devoted and try to outdo each other at it. Like, if there's going to be competition, the competition in the body is who can love each other better. We accept each other, we live at peace together, and we offer that to people who are different than us. We have to live in fellowship and learn to work with one another. This is what it looks like if we are going to take this command seriously. To promote the unity of the body by accepting one another with our differences and allowing our differences to harmonize and to move forward. And finally, I couldn't decide where this one went other than it is simply a great descriptor Of how churches do not do this. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 11, again, we covered this a couple years back. 1 Corinthians 11, this is right, you know, a couple chapters right before the love chapter, which we covered last week. And the chapter right before Paul talks about the diversity of gifts and all of us being members of one another. This is the problem that led into this conversation. In First Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, it talks about how you celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we've talked about how our church, we actually have a meal, and that was pretty normal back in the first century, and although it's not real normal here in America today, but the, the Corinthian believers just didn't care about each other. The rich people who could get off work early, or even if you could qualify them as having worked, would come to someone's house, they would be having a potluck, or the host would be providing the food, or whatever the case might be. They'd show up early, and they would eat so much that they could not hold any more food, and they would drink so much that they would be drunk. And then when the slaves, when the people who had to finish the workday before they were free to go anywhere, got there, the slaves who had no food to offer... They had no drink to offer, had nothing. Because the Corinthian believers did not consider one another, they did not act out of love or humility. They just looked out for what they could get. In any instance, in First Corinthians eleven, verse thirty-three, says, "Therefore, after I mean, he spends like almost a whole chapter on on how like." how rude it is to just eat all the food before the poor people get there. I don't understand how believers could be that far gone. You have to have a half a chapter of your letter written and said, oh, by the way, this is not how you celebrate the Lord's Supper. That should be a no-brainer, but he just summarizes it up like this. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Just wait. Because you're not letting everyone get there. And you're indulging yourself. And not leaving it. You're not even considering like, oh, well, they're running late. Let's save them a plate. They didn't care. They only cared about themselves. And not the unity of the body. Not offering fellowship. They didn't pray for each other. They didn't live at peace. They didn't accept one another. They just did what they wanted. What would it look like if our church learned to wait? Now, obviously, we we kind of force you to wait when it comes to eating in the fellowship meal. But what if we learned to wait as love waits? And instead of expecting people to be perfect in one day, in one week, or one time, we learned to wait patiently with one another, work with one another. What would it mean and what would it change if we learn to be considerate of each other so that we can bring praise to God in this harmony of people who are vastly different living together in a way that cannot be done apart from the work of the Spirit, that we can promote this unity and the benefit of one another. So don't be surprised if I start yelling at you if you're starting to do something that looks like you're cutting things up. This is essential. This isn't like, oh, this is ideal. It is essential to community. It's literally in the word unity, community, okay? In a community of believers, we cannot afford to chop ourselves up into tiny little pockets We're all the same. That's not God's plan for you or for us. God's plan is for you to have to wrestle with the fact that people are different than you. And yet they are accepted. In heaven, they are accepted by Jesus just as Jesus accepted you with all of your nuttiness and peculiarities. He's accepted you. So offer that acceptance to each other live at peace and in harmony so that others can see the work of Jesus at work in our own lives. Dear and Father, we praise You that You are a very wise God and that You choose on purpose to use the weak things to confound the wise that you purposely choose to bring believers who do not all think the same, who do not all live the same, who do not agree in everything, together to live in unity so that we can learn to live in harmony by exercising the Spirit's gifts of love and humility, patience, to be at peace with one another. We pray that we would be a church that would pray for one another well before we would even consider complaining about one another. That we would be a church that offers fellowship to everyone, not just those who are like us. We pray that we would not divide the body of Christ, but instead work to grow the parts together so that we can grow into the maturity of who Jesus is. We know that we cannot do that on our own will, Most of the time, we don't even want to do it. But we pray that that would be a work that your spirit would continue in us so that we would be a better picture and a better song so that people could know you through us. We ask this because Jesus' work on the cross for us. Amen.